Again, welcome. My name is Dan Song. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be together. I know as we look forward, or maybe some of us don't look forward to Thanksgiving and spending time with family, I know this is a, it could be a busy, busy week uh, coming up. So glad that you're with us. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 31. Today, we conclude our series in the book of Acts. Uh, we started after Easter, and we are concluding as we head into Advent season uh, in, in December. But just to kind of remind us of what we've gone through over this account of the story of the church. Remember way back when uh, Jesus was ascending to heaven, and he makes this beautiful promise as he ascends to heaven and as he looks to his followers, he says, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see that actually come to fruition, right? We see that actually happen through the gift of the Holy Spirit, of the presence of God, empowering them to be able to be his witnesses throughout all the world. We saw that through community, as people gathered together, as these, this minority little ragtag group gets together they influence and change their culture it happened through generosity it happened through their sacrificial giving it happened through also suffering and death and persecution and then we saw how this man named Saul who we now know as Paul who hated the church and was killing Christians had this incredible conversion where he, he received the call to reach out to the Gentiles, to continue this idea or this mission that Jesus gave to his followers. And he was called to the Gentiles. This paradigm shift, this thing that the Jewish people would have never foreseen actually happened. Paul was called to, to be able to go be God's, Jesus' witness to the rest of the world. And so what does he do? He goes on three missionary journeys. One, two, three, over the course of his ministry. And he plants many, many churches throughout the world. And then the last few weeks, we saw how after he had returned to Jerusalem from his third missionary journey, what does he do? He sets his eyes on Jerusalem. Or not Jerusalem. He sets his eyes on Rome. The place that he felt God call him to, to preach the gospel to Rome. The greatest, the strongest empire and nation and so over the last few weeks we saw how he went out through imprisonments injustice being held captive even though there was no really any legitimate cause for him to be imprisoned and then last week we saw how he was shipwrecked and through all of these experiences and trials we see him head finally to rome and that's where we land today and what do we have to learn from, not only in this passage, but also as we've looked at the story of the church in the book of Acts, what does God want to leave us with, and specifically our church? And so I'm going to invite Drew Hepler. I saw him. Oh, there he is. And he's going to uh, read the passage for us. So let's give attention to God's word, starting in Acts verse 11 to the end of the chapter. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Drew. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we give you thanks for 
this beautiful account of how you began the church. And because of this story, Lord, we are recipients of that, even as we sit here on this Sunday morning on November 19th. And so, Lord, I pray that as we close out this book, Lord, we know that this is not just a mere story or just a historical account, but this is your word to us. And so strengthen us, encourage us, transform us as we sit under your word with humility. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a letter written by a 17-year-old girl, high school student, two days before she was graduating. And at her graduation ceremony, she was actually chosen to sing the Star Spangled Banner. Um, and two days before she was to do this, a letter had been received by her family and her loved ones. And I want to read this letter to you. This is what she writes. God is love, and I love you, mommy and daddy, Robert, Don, Richard, everyone else. All my friends and relatives, I'm sorry if I've ever disappointed you in any way. I only wanted to make you proud. My family has been the greatest influence on my life. I love you all. I know you all love me and will miss me. Richard, sweetie, I really did and will always love you. I ask only one thing. Accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Everything works out for the good of those who love the Lord. Romans 8.28 All my love, always. And then she signed it. As you hear this letter being read, you might think that's so sweet and tender that this is her, kind of her farewell at her graduation ceremony as she thinks about her family and friends. And that's what you probably think, given the context of graduation. But that's not at all the context under which this letter was written. This letter was required by a man who had kidnapped her. And he told her to write her last will and testament. And that's what you just heard being read. He would take her life after he mailed this letter out. And no longer is it just a tender and sweet letter, but it's a spiritual force. It's a reckoning. Seeing the contrast between her faith and the circumstances with which it was expressed literally changed lives because of this letter. I think there's a similar tenor to how the book of Romans, or Romans, Acts, ends. It's nice to know that in one way Paul preached and taught the gospel as we read here the ending that with all boldness and without hindrance. It's endearing and it's nice and it's sweet until you realize that Paul was executed. He was a Roman citizen, so they couldn't crucify him on the cross. So what did they do? They beheaded him. They beheaded Paul, this man who was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is what we see here. Just like the high school girl who wrote this letter, seeing the contrast between Paul's faith and the circumstances within which the gospel was preached literally changed lives. During his imprisonments, his suffering, his execution, the gospel was proclaimed with boldness and without any hindrance. And here's the thing, it continues to do so today. With boldness and without hindrance. And 
question for us is how do we see or how did we see this reality play out in the book of Acts? But also, as we sit here, how does that reality, this truth that the gospel continues to move forward with boldness and without hindrance, actually play out in our story this morning as restoration in your families, with friendships, as followers of Jesus, what does that actually look like? And how is that actually accomplished? Three things I want to briefly look at this morning is, first, it happens through gospel family, second, gospel proclamation, and lastly, gospel confidence. Let's start with gospel family. We see that in verses 14 and 15. Now, you have to imagine this setting. Paul, a prisoner, He's surrounded by all these Roman guards and centurions, and their job is to take him all the way into the city of Rome as a prisoner. And he's in chains, and this flock of Roman guards are taking him and escorting him into the city. And they're about 132 miles south on the coast of Rome. And so they need to walk. It's probably a two or three day journey all the way up to Rome. And who are the people, as he makes his journey up to Rome, who are the people that meet and greet him? It's his Christian family. It's his brothers and sisters that welcome him, that practice hospitality, that welcome all of the Roman guards that are with Paul, and they practice hospitality and stay with him for seven days in this little city. As they make their journey after towards Rome, as he's 40, 50 miles away from the city gates, who are the ones that walk with him the last 20 miles or 40 miles into Rome? It's all of the Roman Christians scattered throughout the city who come with him and walk him into Rome. Now this picture This image you have, you have to realize that this image is really for those generals who had won and conquered in a war or in a battle. When the Romans were coming into Rome after a great victory, all the people would flock and walk with this great uh, Roman general into the city. But here, we don't have a conqueror. We have one who is conquered. We have a loser. We have one who is actually defeated. And this is the setting in which the people of God, Christian brothers and sisters, gather and flock, welcome him, celebrate him, cry and rejoice that their spiritual father and their spiritual brother has come to their city. And they usher him in to Rome. And what does Luke say in how Paul responds? In verse 15, on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. He took courage. When we are defeated, when we are hurting, when we are discouraged, and life has the best of us, we need our family. We need brothers and sisters gathered around us to be able to be reminded to thank God, but also to take courage that we are not alone. And that's what we see happen throughout the history of the church. It is the family of God, this epicenter, not a building, not here at 11971 or at the annex, but here 
brothers and sisters in Christ, fathers, mothers, daughters, sons, grandkids. This is what it means to be the family of God. And we've seen that not just through people that looked like one another, right? It was Jews, it was Greeks, it was Gentiles, it was slaves, it was blue-collar workers like that jailer in Philippi who converted. It was Lydia, a woman business, a businesswoman, and a successful one. It was influencers, it was those who were poor. It was that slave girl. It was such a mishmash of people who never had any reason to actually come together and call themselves a family, and yet that's exactly what happened because of Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection. This is the family of God. This church that began lived well not when things were fine and dandy, but they lived well when they suffered, when they died, when they were being persecuted, they lived well. And that became the ethic and the beautiful story to show the world around them. And it was absolutely attractive. Are we the family of God? I remember my youth pastor always said this to us. He would always say, don't go to church, but what? Be the church. Be the church. I tell our kids so many times, you need to go to church. When you go to college, you need to go to church, right? And what does that communicate? It means be a consumer, go listen, and then leave. You have somewhere to go, and then you go back to whatever you belong to. No, when we're talking about the family of God, we are called to be the church. We will never change our cities and our neighborhoods by just going to church. But we will change our cities and our neighborhoods when we are the church. Let's be the family. Let's be the body of Christ. Let's be the living stones. We have those reminders outside in the foyer that we did at our retreat two years ago. Stones that you painted, that described your gifts and who you are, are out there in those beautiful glass vases, reminding us of who we are. Be the church if we want to truly believe and partake in this gospel that moves forward with boldness and without hindrance. Secondly, not only does it require gospel family, it requires gospel proclamation. I know this has been a recurring theme over and over again in this series of the church, but you can't dismiss it. The, the centrality of the church and the centrality of the gospel is one that was always pro- proclaimed. It was preached. I love how in, just in this passage, there's so many different ways the gospel is told, expounded testified, convinced, proclaimed, taught, just in this passage. And there's so many different modes of how we need to receive God's word. Do we listen well? I know there's, uh, every now and then I hear, and it's funny, we always, you know, I always hear like, especially adults ask their kids or other kids like, who's your favorite pastor? Who do you, whose uh, pastor do you love the most in their preaching? And, you know, it's funny, and usually it should be me, of course, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. But I think that sends a wrong message, right? I, I, don't worry, I'm not trying to shame any of us, because I do it too. But it's saying, like, well, this person you can actually listen to, but that person, okay, you don't need to listen to. No, the Word of God is the Word of God. 
And when it is preached, we are to listen with humility and with eagerness so that the word of God is planted in our hearts and we are transformed. And what is this word of God? It is the kingdom of God that is preached. Kingdom of God. It's not just personal salvation. One one scholar says it this way. He says the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus in every realm and every sphere. Thus, the kingdom of God is about bringing dominion of God to every domain you live in. That's why our youth is having this sex and sexuality talk today. The kingdom of God has implications for our sexuality. The kingdom of God has implications for our work and our vocation, in our relationships and how we date and how we, how we handle our marriages, how we care for our kids, how we love our neighbors, how we love our enemies. It has impact in every area of life. And if you don't believe me, guess what? His book ended in Acts, the kingdom of God. Jesus, in 1.3, says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. And then the last verse of Acts says Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You see, it's not, the kingdom of God is not just mere personal salvation it's so much more than that it is the reign and rule of jesus and how it impacts you in every little area of your life and this is what we need to continue to see happen the gospel the kingdom of god proclaimed but also us to receive it and hear it and be transformed by it And that's why God has called us to bear this good news to one another. We need to be able to see what is our story. How has God changed my life? And we've talked about this through sermons and through ACE classes. And how do we actually share that story with others about how the kingdom of God has impacted you? And that's all we're called to do, to share it, to proclaim it, to to testify to it. And the rest is up to who? Up to God. Our job is not to convince them and change them. That is absolutely the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus so many times said, you have ears to, you need ears to hear and eyes to see. But from what Paul is quoting, he's saying in Isaiah that you hear, but you don't understand. You see, but you don't perceive. May we be people who are under the Holy Spirit's work, who are transformed by it as we hear and listen and understand and perceive. And that's true of those who you love who are other than Christian. To be able to share and know that that work of them being transformed is not yours, but God's alone. That's why we have different things, whether it's Bible studies, community groups, our events like Cocoa Cocktails and Karaoke where you can go and invite people where it's low bar and you can invite them into something where it is a safe place to discuss and share And as you always hear me say, we walk with them in their questions that they have. It's not to have all the answers. We don't. That's, I think, one of the things that sets people off and is annoying about Christians. But to be able to walk with them in humility and listen to the questions that they have and to wrestle with them together so that we might be able to see people come to know Jesus through the work that is Jesus' alone. But lastly... As we close, we see that 
We need gospel confidence. Gospel confidence. We see that we can have absolute assurance that God will continue to press on. Despite of us, despite of our weaknesses, despite of our challenges, despite of whatever's going on in our world, God continues to press on. And because of that promise, we can have absolute confidence that the gospel moves forward. And this is the beautiful, beautiful privilege we have as a church. We get to be the visible sign of the kingdom of God, of joy, of peace, of contentment, of reconciliation, of forgiveness, of love. These things that the world is dying for and longing for, we get to be the visible sign of that kingdom of God that Jesus has begun to usher in into our world. Listen, Paul was killed. Peter was killed around the same time Paul was executed. Missionaries, pastors, Christians have been killed for their faith throughout all of history. But here's the thing, the gospel cannot be stopped. It can't be hindered. It continues to advance today, right? How do we know this? Jesus was killed. And they thought it was over, right? Science and medicine has advanced throughout history. And they thought Christianity was over. Philosophy, Nietzsche, secularism has continued to rise. And what do people say? Oh, Christianity will finally die. But as history repeats itself over and over again, we don't learn. We don't learn, do we? It doesn't matter. The gospel continues to advance. Why? Because it is absolutely true. It is absolutely true. It happened in our time and in our space and in our history. And we can have confidence that the gospel moves forward without any hindrance. Christianity will never die. It crosses cultures, nations, empires like nothing else. And so the kingdom of God continues to move forward. And the church gets to be that visible sign of it. So guess what? We can be confident. We can be absolutely confident because we belong to Jesus. I know some of us can be Debbie Downers. Some of us can be doomsayers, right? We can be pessimistic. We can doubt at times when things arise. Like, what if, what if Christian nationalists take over, right? Or what if liberals take over? What if they don't allow us to worship freely anymore? Or what if churches are shut down? What if churches continue to struggle with spiritual abuse and power and those things go unreported? What if? What if? And these are all legitimate things. But we need to be able to set our eyes above. And what we see is, you know what would happen? The gospel would advance with boldness and without hindrance. What happened when the gospel went to Rome? The powerhouse of the world. The gospel won. It always does. Don't ever confuse power with position. Right? Pharaoh, Pharaoh had position, but Moses had the power. Herod had the position, but John had the power. The cross, the crucifixion had the position, but Jesus had the power. 
Rome had position, but Paul had the power. Caesar had the position, but the church has the power. You see, don't ever confuse position with power. And when we realize what Christ has done, he's conquered death, defeated death. We know that we can have confidence no matter what we experience through the church or through our own lives, through friends that have been impacted by Christianity or through their own doubts and rejection of it. We can have confidence that God continues to move forward with the beautiful message of the kingdom of God. I know that seems so 30,000 feet, so meta, so big. What does that look like for us here at Restoration? How does that actually apply to us? Well, I invited one of our soon-to-be members, Laura Vanderhaar, married to David, and they have two beautiful kids, um, Israel and Ishmael. And I thought she was in, actually, we were in the same small group at the retreat, and just hearing her story of how this church has been a place where she has been restored in what the church is doing. I thought I'd ask her to share. And so I'm going to invite Laura to come on up. It's a beautiful reminder that not only is God doing something in the Big C Church, but here at Restoration, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. But yet, we can still have confidence that God is doing something even through us, through you, each individually, as you practice what family looks like as we think about the proclaiming and sharing together of lives, that God is moving even our church to do wonderful things as he's called us to. So I'm going to let her share, and I'll come back up and close this out. Hey. Um, yeah, so I'm Laura, and as um, he already shared, married to David. We have two little boys, um, Izzy and Ish, and we've been coming to Restoration for about eight months now, um, and it's been great. Um, the church that I previously went to in Kentucky is the church that I grew up in. And growing up, it was an amazing um, family. Um, the church members really felt like family. I would sit with them during service, after lunch, every Sunday. They would take me out to lunch, um, take me out to eat. I was there all week, and I felt like I could just walk into my pastor's office and tell him about my day. Um, and still, when I go back home and look out at the congregation, I see people who... Uh, helped me grow in my faith um, in middle school and high school, and who were there for me in really hard times, who supported my ministry with crew. Um, but I also look out and I see a lot of pain and difficulty um, that has kind of happened over the last 10 years. Um, when I graduated high school, our church went through a lot of changes. Um, the My youth pastor became the senior pastor, so I didn't get as much time with him anymore. High school friends um, graduated and went off to college, and though there were a lot of new college um, students that came to our church, all of a sudden, um, it was really difficult to get to know them. It was really hard um, to feel uh, like a part of the church. Um, I went through a season of pretty intense social anxiety at my church. Um, and at various times, our family felt pretty alone and unseen. Um, we... Uh, went through a season of hopelessness that issues just would not be resolved no matter how much we tried to talk about it with other people, talk with pastors. Um, and this led to some really tough questions for us. We started to ask, what is the point? <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, wh what 
what is the point of all of this if um, conversations with small groups and elders and pastors don't resolve the social anxiety and every all the messiness, all the, the brokenness that we see? Um, and I even remember one day, uh, I guess about six months before we decided to move to St. Louis, mainly um, to go to Covenant Seminary. Um, I just remember weeping and praying in my house, like, God, do you see us? <laughs> do you see do you see this mess? I really want to be restored here. I, I really want the messiness to resolve and all come together. Um, so eventually we decided to move to St. Louis, mainly again because of um, going to coming to seminary in person. Um, and the idea of trying to find a new church here felt um, hopeful, but also kind of scary because either, you know, this was an opportunity to have a really great new experience, or maybe a lot of our fears about the church or questions we were wrestling with would just also be continue to be confirmed. Um, but coming to Restoration, it's felt really easy to feel known and to feel seen by you all. Um, when I meet, I'm still meeting new people in the church, and when I continue to meet you, there's just this level of comfortableness. I'm not really interact or I'm not really extremely anxious about our interactions and you make it feel really easy to feel welcomed. Um, and our desire to feel safe talking about the hard things that we go through as a family, it feels like a real possibility here. Um, and even the way you all pray for your members every week has just been a huge um, testimony to us about how seriously you take um, being a part of this church. Um, it's really easy for us every week, even this morning, you know, we wrestle our two boys here. <laughs> um, it's like a two hour process. And, you know, even still, it's like, why are we doing this? Why is it so hard? Um, and last week I was reading um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer's um, book called Life Together, where he talks about Christian community. And um, I love how he challenges the perspective of um, that we tend to have on Christian community. He talks about how we come to it with a lot of expectation for each other and how that can really distort our view of what God is doing um, with the church. So something that's restored my hope for the local church especially, it's not that yes, coming here has been really easy to feel welcome, to feel seen, it's been amazing. Um, but that's actually not what has restored my ultimate hope for what God is doing here. Um, it's a renewed faith that Jesus is the foundation. Um, because honestly, I've come to the conclusion that if he is not sovereign over what is happening here, over what the church is doing, then I don't know how much hope we have. Um, there. I know that as we continue to um, come here and be members, you know, it's not going to be perfect. It's not always going to feel easy. And so the fact that God is sovereign and in control and that he is uniting us together and building us together into his church is um, what makes me confident that um, he is doing a huge thing here at Restoration. Um, we are undergoing the membership process right now. And um, yeah, like I said, as I think about that, I know there's going to be hard moments, um, but I'm excited even so to see how God will teach us to love him more as well as the people around us. And 
also, I think it's probably important to say, as I look back at the church that we came from, um, this renewed faith that Jesus is the foundation of the church, um, I also have so much hope for what God is doing there. And uh, when we go back to visit, even though I might look out and see, oh man, this reminds me of this part of that season that was really hard. I, I have faith that they are members of the same church that I am a part of, and God is using them to uh, move the gospel forward. Um, and I think that's an important thing to note. So, um, yeah, thank you for being the church and for welcoming our family. It's meant a lot, and I'm excited to see what else God will do. So, thanks. Thanks, Laura. Um, we all play a part of that, uh, whether you're kind of a wallflower or you love kind of, you're the extrovert. Um, Lord is using each and every single one of us. And so let's be encouraged by that and let's remember that the gospel will continue to move forward without, with boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for what you have done, that the basis of our confidence is not because of anything we do, not because of our church or our staff or our elders or deacons, but because, as Lord just shared, that it is because of you as a cornerstone of the foundation. Um, Lord, we pray that we will be able to be reminded of that every single day because of your work on the cross, your death and sacrifice, through your resurrection and conquering death, Lord, we can have hope because you have chosen your bride uh, to continue the great work of being that visible sign to the rest of the world. So, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be that. Help us to be the church so that many would continue to be attracted and also join and be a part of the body of Christ. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>